Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to My Friends in the North. The COVID-19 lockdown has been a challenging time for many people. Well, today I'm going to speak to someone who's well-versed in helping those who may be struggling. Welcome to the show, Stephen Bell, OBE, who's the Chief Executive of Changing Lives. Morning, welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. Right, I'm going to hold my hands up. Despite having been around in one form or another for about 50 years now, I'm embarrassed to say that Changing Lives is actually a relatively new charity to me. So can you tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah, Changing Lives was formed 50 years ago by four people who were concerned, people who were sleeping rough in the centre of Newcastle. Um, and what they did was, and the name really used to be Cyrenians. Ah, oh, no, so and that's it, a name I do recognise. Yeah, it was named after Simon of Cyrene, who was the guy who, when Jesus was carrying the cross, came out of the crowd and helped them back on his feet. So although we're not a religious organisation in any way, the ethos is about helping people who need our support and help at this stage and putting them back on their feet. In the 50 years, we've moved away from just providing a night shelter. We now operate across the country to as far south as Nottingham and Wolverhampton. And from the 1st of October, we're actually entering into London and Westminster and delivering homeless services. So the transformation in those years has been great. But the ethos and the belief as to why we're here is always been about helping individuals who need our support the most. Amazing. And obviously quite a wide patch now. Now, you've been there, I believe, 25 years. So congratulations on that. That's quite a stint. Yeah. Um, tell me about your proudest achievement about what's happened over that time. Um, I suppose I've been asked this question before. There's been a lot. Um, we're staffing numbers now, we're over 600. And as well as making people safe and secure, which is what we've got to do, for me, you to really get people back living in society, you have to give people employment. So over the years, uh, changing lives, out of the 600 um, staff we've got, 20% of the people that work for us have been people who formerly used our services or somebody else's. So we've been really keen to wear the badge that we promote everybody else. So I think giving people those lifelong chances and letting giving people the employment and getting people back onto the employment route and living independently, that's been the biggest independent thing I've ever done or been involved with. There's a guy who works for us at the senior management level said his children will be the first children in his family's history for the last four generations who have never seen their father use drugs or drink. Wow, that's quite a legacy though, isn't it? And helping people stand on their own two feet and take their future yeah. into their own hands. And I think that's the beauty of the work you do, isn't it? Changing lives actually does, but it gives people independence and autonomy and responsibility. Yeah. yeah, and it does, and it makes them really just live from there. Now, we don't want people with us forever. You know, I've always wanted people for us to be a short period of time, be that three days, three months, three years. But it's always about getting people away from us, living back, living back independently, in a safe home, which is really important, doing employment, doing training, doing education. So I had a nosy on the website and I was fascinated to read about the Changing Lives Theory of Change as a foundation that people can use to transform their lives, to your point. Can you explain the concept to those listening? Because it, it is a really lovely thing to, to look at and to consider and how it, when you hear how it works in practice. Yeah. Internally, we struggled quite a bit with 
sort of when you try to describe to people what we do, we work across five different themes. So we work across housing and homelessness. We work with people who have got women and children, so domestic violence, sexual abuse. We work with drug and alcohol, particularly the recovery agenda. And I mean, free of methadone and other substances. Um, we work with employment and we also work with criminal justice. So when you try to describe what we do, it was very difficult to actually say, well, actually, you get people off the streets. You actually save per a person from a sexual predator. It, it was difficult to there. What we found through the learning we've got is that a lot of people have got interconnected issues. Some of that will be trauma, poverty, poor health, low levels of social capital, and a lack of aspiration. And what we do is to try to make people, for us, for ourselves, we've got a lot of different social networks. A lot of people that we work with haven't got many social networks, and a lot of the social networks aren't very good for them. So we make sure they've got different social connections. We give them hope and aspiration. A lot of this is about giving people the hope they've never had before. But actually, life can be better. And showing them there's another route, I guess. So like, you know, as you say, sometimes perhaps the communities and networks around them are reinforcing their behaviour and not showing them other examples of how things can be done. So that's what you're trying to do in terms of stretch those boundaries. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of people that come to us, their eyes are on the floor. And their eyes are on the floor because they've lost all hope and belief. Oh. And our job is to give them back the dignity. And if we can do that, and we've paraphrased it down to being, becoming and belonging. And it's just about understanding the issues as to why that person entered our service in the first place, working with the individual, never judging that individual, and then moving them through and away from us. So hopefully they'll never come back. That's the theory of change in sort of like broad English version but it's really just working with people who've got interconnected issues and giving them the hope and aspiration to move forward and live independently amazing it's actually given me some goosebumps actually because that's so you see some people who are so battered by life i guess giving them aspiration again is is a game changer for them let's yeah. move on to covid19 obviously a very difficult year this year the pandemic must have impacted the work that changing lives is doing have you seen an increase in demand for your services? Has at it changed minute, things? It, it's changed things. I think at the minute we've seen a small increase, but we haven't seen the increase which we're predicting we're about to see. What we've clearly seen over the last six months is a rise in domestic violence. We've clearly seen, obviously, you know, initially, if you remember going back, where they wanted nobody rough sleeping. So everybody's moved away from the streets. So what we've moved people onto now is a lot of dispersed housing. So the old hostel style model isn't going to be there. So we've seen this. I think the worry that we've got going forward is that when the announcements have come out now, that this is going to be another six months, that this is going to get really difficult. What we've seen in our services is a rise in mental health issues, and particularly amongst those of young people. And I think young people are going to come out of this really poorly. I think you see some of the stuff with the universities and you're an 18-year-old person going into a fresher year and you're sort of you know, locked in, for a better word. It's really difficult. And they've had the rug pulled from under their feet, haven't they, really? You know, uh, they're yeah. away from home for the first time, trying to get up to speed with how university works. They can't go out and meet new people. They don't know their housemates. And now they're told they can't, they can't leave. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, more than a triple whammy there. Yeah, yeah, and we, we're getting, we're now seeing a lot of young people who are self-harming. And the young people really, really worry us because I think they get blamed for a lot. 
and we may be in danger of having a lost generation coming forward. I think the other bit which comes through is I think we get confused by some of the political messages which come out. And you're never quite sure from day to day, week to week, which way the government policy is going to go. But if you're a person who has got mental health issues, who are abiding by everything what's been said, you're living by yourself with very limited social interaction with others, and you hear some of the mixed messages that's coming out, it has a massive detrimental impact to your mental health. And I think the mental health of people using our services and others going forward, because we are about to enter a recession. You know, when the furlough scheme ends, we will see unemployment levels that we've never seen before. And you will then see, and also when the, the rent, when people aren't evicted yet for non-paying of rent, that will go in the next few weeks. When that comes into play, you're going to see much more people who become homeless. You're going to see much more people in destitution, much more people in mental health. And that for us is the real worry of what COVID's going to do. The other bit is, if we think about, even just think about ourselves, the last six months, the weather's been all right. It's light nights. It's bright outside. It's all right. You get through to January and February and it's dark. You've got limited hours of daylight during the day. You know, the depressing months anyway. And if you've lost everything and you're living by yourself or you're living with a partner, by the way, who may be sexually abusing you, committing domestic violence, you know, you've got all of these issues going on, then it becomes really, really difficult. Um, you know, when the schools were off, because what, what we saw within our services was we weren't getting much um, the domestic violence. The people weren't coming forward with domestic violence or sexual abuse. But one of the key factors to that is schools weren't picking up on them because they weren't at school. So now the children's gone back to school. You know, the, the schools are actually seeing some of the damage which this has had. I've got a 14-year-old son, right? He's lovely, but he would not do any homework. You know, he's got, you know, he's got a low attention span. He's very sporty. He's not academic. So trying to get him to do that there, and that's coming from a reasonably stable form. If you've got kids who haven't got that background, I really worry what's going to happen going forward with them. Oh, that's that's quite um, a difficult and challenging place to be, isn't it, for you in terms of knowing this is coming and having to plan for it and um, not knowing perhaps what other support is available. Which brings me nicely on to the next question. Um, donations and fundraising absolutely critical for the charitable third sector more widely. I know that you'll be reliant on donations to keep going and lots of likely donors will have been adversely impacted by the pandemic. And as you said yourself, we're at the start, of a global recession, it's not even just here in the UK. Are you concerned and what's been done to mitigate the risk generally? Yeah, for, for ourselves, we actually, we bid for contracts and commissions and grants. So we get um, a limited amount of fundraising income coming in. Right. And all the income that we get coming in through fundraising, we use frontline services. So we don't take any for the back office costs. Um, where you really got a problem is that some of the large charities, such as Macmillan, have announced this week they're going to lay off 300 staff because the funders and activities have gone down. Those kind of charities have really struggled. I think it was interesting this week that the budget's been pushed back. And the budget's been pushed back. There was also going to be a four-year spending review. And that actually gives you some sort of certainty as to what's happening for the next four years. I don't think at the minute, if we're being honest, anybody knows what's going to happen for the next four years. 
I think six months is difficult, isn't it? The next two to six months. You said yourself at the end of a number of different uh, government financial intervention schemes are, are drawing to a close. And, and even just seeing the impact of that is, you know, we have to wait and see. Yeah, and, and there's also a lot of unforeseen circumstances. So one of the big things we've pushed in, in the last five to 10 years is volunteering. Because volunteering is a great way, people, particularly in our services, or the general public, giving something back. So it's a great way of helping people get self-esteem. But when you're working in a residential sentence, you've only got limited space. So what we've had to do is stop people from going in. So there's there's other knock-on impacts. So people not only are living independently in the community or living by themselves, they can't even go and do the volunteering they were doing before. So it's those kind of unforeseen impacts that then increases the loneliness, isolation, and the mental health. And them kind of things, I think, really were us. For us, fundraising is something we were looking to try to increase purely to try to get much more innovation to the frontline services. Um, but, but yeah, for the larger charities who rely mainly on fundraising, this has been a really difficult time. And going forward, you can't say that alter. I'm going to move on a little bit to you and your career, actually, because I'm quite interested in the fact that you've, you've been with Changing Lives 25 years now. Uh, it was actually a big career change for you wasn't it and um, you previously worked for Go Ahead Group so moving from transport <laughs> a complete change particularly when you consider what we just discussed and the challenges you're now facing what what prompted that decision? Uh, well I left school at 16 I didn't go to university I started work with Go Ahead Northern um, or Northern Bus Company it was called then as a junior personnel clerk when you could call people junior personnel clerks and what I didn't know at the time that it actually gave us a great grounding because I was there when it went through to privatisation from state owned to privatisation. So I was there during that period. But I worked in HR and wages and admin and pension and I ended up um, in accounts. So I was classed as a middle management accountant. And what they did is, so I was there for 12 years. I basically thought my career was sort of panned out in front of us. That was where I was going to be. They dispersed the stuff around the region and then brought them back into head office. So there was about 12 of us who were doing the same job in 12 different locations. They brought them back together to four roles, and I got made redundant. So I got made redundant on the Friday and started work with Tyneside Sirens then on the Monday um, with my now good friend John Thompson, who got us a job. I hadn't got a clue what the voluntary sector was. I'd come from quite a corporate world into something which used computers very sparingly. I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, my very first board meeting I went to, two more members asked us what church I attended. I said I didn't go to church in the turnaround and left us. And I just thought, wow. Right. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I didn't think I would stay. Yeah. And I, and about six months in, I actively started looking for different employment. But then what happens is you start to see some of the changes you can see in people. And you're not actually fixing a bus or taking somebody on a route somewhere or making a desk or making a car. You're helping people change somebody's life. And that gives you, it's a different dimension to anything I did before. I've been fortunate that I've been here for 25 years. I've worked with some terrific staff. There's been many, many happy memories. And it's been a wonderful place over that period. Oh, that's amazing. Um, you also believe in coaching, don't you? How has coaching helped you in your career and what the benefits of engaging with someone in that way? I think when you get to a certain level, um, you always need to learn. 
regardless of what we're doing. And I'll talk a little bit about that when I get the sports stuff. <laughs> but when, when you, you've always got to learn stuff from there. So I've had over my career about three or four active business coaches. I've been with the current one I'm with, and a guy called Frank Lord, who was brilliant for about four to five years now. Um, he's very tough on us. And I think um, some chief execs need people to be tough on them. And he is tough and he grills us. But he's also got a wealth of experience. And it's about utilising the experience, building trust, utilising the experience, but also listening to what they're saying and actually taking that in. And it's when you get in a position of as chief exec, it's quite lonely. And you can't then go and confide in, you confide in your board where you don't really want them to know you've got issues going on and you don't want to confide in your team. So there's some things which are going on which you can only discuss with an individual. So I've built a great rapport, particularly at the minute with my business coach. We talk about a range of different things. It really does test us more than I've been tested before. And it pushes at us. So if I say something, he just drills and drills and drills and then comes out with the things from there. I'm now saying three times a year, so it's limited. I don't like, by the way, um, Teams or Zooms coaching. I don't, I don't think it works that well for a person who spent the last 20 years travelling around to meet people. The new way of world is um, a difficult one, I think, at times. For anybody who's thinking about doing anybody who's coaching, I would really recommend a business coach. I think it helps you untold. Yeah, and also with accountability, isn't it, in terms of what you're doing, how you're doing it, your judgment calls. I know a lot of people who have benefited from coaching and it's about finding the right one. And I agree, a face-to-face environment is often better for building a trusted relationship where you can cover difficult topics, right? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they are difficult topics. Yeah, yes. like you say, especially if it's stuff that's sensitive that you can't necessarily share with people at work, but you need it in a in a um, yeah. confidential environment outside of that. Um, as a youngster, you were a talented cricketer, and I can know that because I've been Googling you. Um, is oh. this still a love of yours? And what else do you do out of work to relax? I think some of my teammates in opposition may wonder at the word talented, but <laughs> I, I was all right. Um, I played cricket from a very young age. Um, and it was, I played football a lot, but cricket was the one that I really stuck with. And then I stopped playing about 12 years ago. Um, and interestingly enough, my son is, from, it's, it's a bit like deja vu. He's back to the football and he's back to the cricket. And what happens is when he's playing for the same cricket team, Beamish, you end up going and then you end up coaching. So I've coached from the under 11s, 13s, now under under 15s. It's something which is really good. You see, kids, I like working. I think it's better with kids who have actually got limited ability, but they want to work. And you see them coming through, and it's it's quite relaxing, but quite stressful sometimes. Um, so, so I do that. I'm also a keen golfer. For my sins, I've started to play quite a bit um, up the Hobson. And I think when you're in certain positions, you end up. So now I'm chairman at the Hobson Golf Club as well, which is. So slightly tiring, my wife just questions some things you do. But it's just great being involved. But again, the coaching bit, I use the guy who's the professional there for coaching for golf. And it's like, you've got to believe in what the other people's expertise and what you're doing. And that's in all walks of life. So yeah, so sport's always been a massive part for me. I enjoy walking, I enjoy reading. I've just become a granddad seven weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. Yes, so we're 19 year old. I've got a 40 year old son, a 90 year old daughter. Um, just been married to Bal for four and a half years, but 
nine-year-old daughter's by herself. She's doing phenomenal with a seven-week-old. So that's been quite life-changing as well. They always said it was different with grandchildren. It is. Um, but yeah, that's been a really pleasant, um, something unexpected, um, but really good to happen as well. Nice so, yeah. news for 2020. God knows we all need that. <laughs> Let's finish off with an important call to action. If people have been inspired to support the changing lives today, which they hope they have, what can they do to help? Um, for us, for a call to action going forward, I think we're in a society which has started to come together in the last six months. I think going forward, as we discussed earlier, the next six months is going to be really, really difficult. I think for everybody, and not just involved with changing lives, I would like people to be more kind to each other. I'd like you to look after each other, just be a bit more thoughtful. You know, when people are having bad days, but try to recognise the bad days. We still try to meet staff when you're working with people, even if you can't meet, because the office was closed for quite a while. You meet in the park, just meet people face to face. For us, for the call of action, I think going forward, I've held a long-held belief that public service contracts should be over a longer period. It just gives you stability. I want us to work together. And really, the, the bit we started with was is what Change of Lives does. And if you look back to when you were a teenager growing up, you know, I did want to be a professional cricketer. That's what I wanted to be. Or I want to be a policeman, which at them days, yeah, I have good eyesight and I had really poor eyesight. Nobody growing up thought they would ever come in to change their life services. That wasn't what you dreamt of. Our job is to give people the hope and aspirations to change their lives. The public at the minute can help support us. We haven't got fundraisers. If people want to give money to us and donations into us, that would be gratefully um, received. Our commitment to you is we will use that on frontline services. Before, I would have said people could come and volunteer for us. At the minute, you can't do that. So it's a little bit, we're not a closed shop at the minute. It's just the restrictions don't allow people to come in and use your skills, particularly on the frontline services. We're kind of in the back office environment and the support functions, but not in the front line because of the COVID restrictions. So if people want to get involved, there's still ways of getting involved. But please, for us, look after your neighbours, be kind to people, understand the issues that people's going through. You never know what's going to happen to you. Most people are coming to our services because a lifelong event, which was not their fault. It was something which happened to them or a member of their family or a bereavement or something. And that's what happened. And nobody knows what's around the corner. I don't think many of us have got three months' wages in the bank. So once you get made redundant, it doesn't take very long to become homeless, to suffer real poverty, real hardship and need services which Changing Lives provides. Thanks, Stephen. I think that's a lovely way to finish. And I think everyone can do more by just simply being kind and looking out for each other. Thank you so much for a really informative interview and for everything you and the team are doing at Changing Lives. For anybody listening, you can follow the latest developments at the charity by um, looking up at Changing Lives underscore on Twitter, or you can visit www.changing-lives.org.uk. And you can also look Stephen up on LinkedIn. Well, we're always interested in hearing new voices and stories on My Friends of the North. If you or a client would like to be involved, please do drop me a line at sarah at astute.work. And that's us finished for today. So bye for now and see you next time. Thank you 
for listening to My Friends in the North with Sarah Waddington. You can find Sarah on Twitter at Mrs. Underscore Wads or get involved with the podcast by emailing Sarah at astute.work. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh